Wish I didn't have to know what I thought I needed to know. Some secrets are best. Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu Tang Clan. Um, today I'm really excited to have my good friend Andrew Ramondi back on the pod as we talk about the NBA playoffs. I mean, we're actually here. We've made it to uh, the playoffs. All of the seeding games are finished. The play-in game for the eighth seed is finished. And uh, yeah, Andrew, are you alive? Because all the Blazers games that they're bringing you through the past week or so with a game going for 51-61, that Nets nail-biter to see if they were going to even be in the play-in game. Uh, There was a lot of stuff to kind of go through. It seems like uh the the blood pressure might be up uh with all the um with all the games that they're putting you through yeah man as a, as a man with clinically diagnosed anxiety i really don't know if the trailblazers were the best team to to root for if i if i could go back and uh if tell myself or whatever but they seem to win most of the games so i in some ways i'm spoiled you know, it's funny, without going off on too much of a tangent, I was thinking, like, it almost should be said in a way, because I don't think we've done a pod. Like, I think our last pod was, like, the games are about to start. And it's almost, like, easy to take it for granted now, but, like, the bubble worked without a hitch, pretty much, knock on wood. And mm-hmm. the basketball has been just, I mean, some of the last few days, I guess it got a little more boring because the seeding had been established and teams were, were trying to lose, but the quality of that, like we're spoiled really because the quality of that basketball has been really, really great. And it seems like, you know, the bubble has had no, it's pretty much been all positive. Right. So I'm, we're really lucky to be able to just be, and I'm really happy to just be able to talk about basketball again. And yeah, talk, talk about the Blazers again. Um, I was going to ask you what your kind of level of consumption has been since uh, since the ba- basketball came back because our, our mutual friend Doug from law school was texting me kind of like how much basketball have you been watching and like I watched seven out of the eight Blazers games the one Blazers game I missed was the Clippers iro- game ironically um, because mm. I was driving back from a vacation but like I watched seven out of eight of those games and that's around like I'm a pretty devoted Blazers fan I probably do watch around you know 85 percent of their games and then I was on vacation and like the games had been on in the background and stuff but but to be pretty frank like I, I mean I've been following it and listening to podcasts and consuming it but like a lot of my consumption has been filtered through the Blazers which to be, has been a thrill ride, as you mentioned, but I maybe had missed some of those night-to-night national TV games outside of, like, the first week I was watching pretty much everything, but then it had been all Blazers, and I was wondering, and, you know, as as my friend, you indulge me a lot, we talk about the Blazers a lot, but, you know, the Nets have been have been pretty fun, too, but what what would you say your NBA diet has looked like since it came back? Well, I think what's interesting about that question is specifically for the Blazers, they were in the thick of a playoff race and all of the, all the teams around them made it exciting. The the Grizzlies, the Suns came out of kind of nowhere and went eight and no during the seeding games. Uh, Even the Spurs 
the the one disappointment was kind of New Orleans that didn't end up challenging, and it seems like this the Kevin Wu. The Kevin Wu hex, I think, was was placed on them because you that were was, really rooting hard for the Pels. Government. That was that was definitely probably the case, and I think it was honestly set up for maybe Zion to kind of make a run, and it just didn't really materialize into anything because Alvin Gentry was very careful with Zion coming back into the fold. But I think with the Blazers and uh, with your consumption it was a lot more exciting just because yeah. it was so unsettled. Whereas in the East, it was fairly early on. I believe it was like three games in um, or three or four games in when it was kind of determined that the Nets would um, make the playoffs and there would be no playing game at all. And the Nets actually went, uh, got the seventh seed. So I I ended up watching bits and parts of probably five out of the eight games. Um, And then obviously me and you were texting back and forth on the last, you know, the last game of the season uh, between the Blazers and the Nets where I was just, I was really hoping, the Nets had it sealed up. So I was just kind of hoping that the Blazers would win for your sake and for for your anxiety, your self-diagnosed anxiety, because man, that last game was just so yeah. exciting. And it, it was just back and forth. Karis LeVert looked amazing. And one of these players that what, throughout the season, you're kind of like, man, is Karis LeVert ever going to show up? Is he going to produce at a level that we saw pre, you know, Kyrie coming to the team? And he really showed it during that last game and um, over the past eight games during the seeding, uh, during the seeding games. So that's pretty much been my level of consumption. And it's, it's been really exciting to watch. And I'm just so excited for the playoffs to start on Monday um, when, you know, it's going to just be like the normal playoffs. And um, I think the NBA has done on a whole, a great job of this whole bubble thing. And when you look at all the other American sports that are going on, especially baseball, which is the direct comparison that we're yep. making pre, you know, pre all of these games being played, there's been problems in the MLB compared to the NBA. And that's since that's the most troubling thing when looking at the other sports, if they're not implementing the bubble, when looking forward to maybe college football, college basketball, uh, NFL football uh, coming down the pike. So it's, it's kind of exciting to see how this is all coming together and working and now we could really just focus on basketball talk that's being played on the court. Yeah, no, you're you're totally right on on two things. One, I think, yeah, if you went back and listened to us talking about the NBA versus the MLB in our last podcast, we probably look pretty smart. I think we were both, or we were both a little skeptical of the the MLB model. And it is an interesting. We're not going to get sidetracked. I'm going to move on after this point. But, yeah, you also do raise a kid. It feels like the NFL 
has been like strange. Like, don't you think there needs to be like a we need to talk about the NFL kind of moment that just hasn't come yet? It, it like, hasn't it come feel, yet. Yeah. Like, it's weird, especially with college football now spinning off in such a weird way. It seems like, and I've talked about this multiple times and said it to friends and on this podcast. Like, I I do think to some extent that boils down to this idea of like the NFL as this juggernaut and that like no matter what they're going to play kind of kind of thing which is how I've always felt about it I mean with the MLB to some extent you're kind of seeing now that like it seems like their idea is like well we kind of fucked this up but we're just gonna keep trucking through basically it's like that episode of Spongebob where um the flying Dutchman kidnaps Patrick and SpongeBob and makes them work on their boat. And there's this scene where like Patrick's backing in the boat and like SpongeBob's yelling, you're good. You're good. And (laughs) like woods flying everywhere. It feels like that's kind of what's happening in the MLB right now. Um, And that does set a precedent for the NFL in some ways you think we're like, yeah, you kind of can just plow ahead with these things and you kind of make it work. But uh, like you said, it's good to not moving away. And I think there is some conversations to be had about the NFL as we get closer, and I think it will happen. Um, But like you said, you know, the upshot is the NBA bubble has, for better or for worse, allowed us to kind of just focus focus on the play. And you raised another good point, man. You actually kind of made me feel a little better about being so locked in on the Blazers at, at maybe the detriment of missing some of the other games in the league. Cause I think you make a valid in, uh, in that, like being so blazer centric allowed me to kind of take in the most important storylines in the league, because that's really where the most action was. And frankly, to, to finally talk about basketball, the most, uh, I mean, Devin Booker has a case as well, but the end bubble MVP was voted on today and, the, it was Damian Lillard. So I think the Blazers arguably were the most important team of the bubble because they had the most important player of the bubble. Um, and you'd, you'd watch some of those games, man, just as it, maybe it's better for you to kind of start things off because I, I'm quote unquote used to it at this point, but I feel like you might be too. Uh, what did, what did you think of these game performances? Oh my God. I mean, like, He's been incredible. It's just, yeah. he went through 51 and then he's just like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go for 61 the next game. It's, it, I couldn't believe where he was pulling up from in that Nets game. Like there yeah. was one play where the Nets were kind of doubling him and trapping him as soon as he came over half court, basically to get the ball out of his hands. And he just ends up taking, it was Lamelo Ball esque in that he was like yeah. pointing to the he was he crossed yeah. the half court. It was literally, literally from the up. logo. Yeah, yeah, it was incredible, and it wasn't like one of those huge ass logos that spread across the floor. It was like probably two steps across half court where he ended up pulling up from, and it goes in. Like, and he and and he was kind of talking about it post game, and he. I really just liked his mentality in terms of at, at a certain point, he didn't want uh, the moment to pass him by. And yeah. he was that type of player that he's going to take the responsibility in his hands to be able to hopefully get 
the the Blazers um, into the playoffs and ended up working out even and even in these last couple of games I don't know how you do it as a Blazers fan because because are all their games like this where they just end up playing these incredibly close games that pretty much come to the last possession um, it seems like their past like three four games ended up happening like that. I mean dude uh yeah like here are the scores of their games in the bubble game one versus memphis 140 to 135 that goes to ot that game was excruciating in and of it like it was so early but it was so important because they basically needed that win it really was a tone setter because the pelicans lost their first game and it kind of sent the jaron jackson jr hadn't gotten hurt yet but it's kind of sent the Grizzlies into onto the track that allowed the Blazers to make the eighth seed. So they win that game in overtime. Boston, a game they were down like 30 or something. They come back, and but they lose. That was a really good game also. Houston, they win probably the most handily. Uh, Denver, then they win. Denver's not really playing their guys. The L.A. game, um, Damian Lillard misses. That's the one I'm in the car for, luckily. I'm sure I would have been going absolutely – ballistic during that game they somehow can't pull ahead of and if they win that game a lot of the stuff that comes after becomes mood ironically and I don't think we need to I'm assuming people who listen to this podcast know about the Dame Patrick Beverly Paul George thing like there's just so much goddamn ground to cover when you talk about this team uh but Damian Lillard misses two free throws down the stretch um and and they lose, and then afterwards he gets in this Twitter beef with or Instagram beef with Patrick Beverly and Paul George, uh, and then so that's a close game. The Philly game, which they was just a really frustrating game on the whole. They win. Game goes for fifty one. It's I can't even remember that Philly game that well. Like I guess he I think he was just hitting a lot of threes and and stuff like that. The Mavs game, which is a virtuoso performance. I mean. God, he's had so many good games, but I think that probably is the best the best game of his career. And you want to like compare shots? Yes, that logo shot in the Nets game was was incredible, but that's up there with a man who's had uh, as a Lillard. I think that goes into his top three moments with the two playoff buzzer beaters. That shot he takes from a complete standstill with the time running down on the on the clock, down three, like less than 90 seconds left from 35 it bounces off the heel of the rim goes straight in the air and swishes through um yeah I mean he was just so in that was the game where I really felt like I mean the whole time he had the team on his back I guess but that was the time the game where I I really did feel like they needed him uh the Mavs had really nothing to play for but were playing at full strength they could not get a stop, and he just kept fucking scoring. Um, and then that Brooklyn game, like you said, just less flashy. But, you know, the Nuts by the end of the game are literally double-teaming him, uh, literally double-teaming him before half court on, on some possessions. And him that quote where he says, you know, like, I am not going to let this game go by without leaving my imprint on it in some way. I think uh, you really have to look back to that 2018 series against, uh, ironically, Anthony Davis and the Pelicans, 
where mm-hmm. they really did take him out of that. And I think you, his career, God, he's had such an incredible career. He gets better every year. It's, it's wild how he's not a young guy. Like he's really, his prime has been like, it, 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 now you can look back like almost six years or something like that. But um, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm doing my patented ramble, but it's about the Blazers at least. So I think I, I have some, uh, some justified here. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you have to look back at that Pelican series because after that is when I think he really got into this like long range shooting, working, working off double teams, step backs, you know, all that shit. And uh, it kind of, I think the Brooklyn game is almost the moment where, I mean, it's so stupid that they had to do, be, it had to be this way because they're incapable of stopping anybody. But, um, you know, he was really masterful in kind of taking all of that energy the, the Nets defense was, was throwing at him and still still managing to, to score as many as he did and, and lead that team the way he did. And then today in the Memphis game, it's really not about him. It's about um, Yusuf Nurkic, whose who's grandmother, Hannah, passed away fucking today from COVID. She had been in pretty much a coma. I think the whole of the bubble, God bless that guy. And uh, CJ McCollum, who has a freaking broke, broken bone in his back. I mean, Mr. Uh, Kinesiology can tell me about a transverse process fracture and, and how serious that is. But, uh, yeah, uh, but he's still great in the game today. I mean, he uh, – I don't have the regular season stats up, but I think he went for over 30. He was still still very solid. Um, and, you know, now we have two incredible – I was going to joke coming onto the podcast, uh, Kevin, are you more of a put some respect on my fucking name guy or are you a he can't fucking guard me guy? Oh, uh, man, that was we- – Incred- Dude, that's like an incredible just, moment. CJ, yeah. I, I do want to say something. I mean, we, I, I think I pretty much said, oh, I tried to get all of my thoughts out on Dame at once, but CJ has, he is an interesting player as a Blazer fan because he has, there's always been this Dame CJ, should they even be a bit, like, can they work together kind of thing, although that's gone away, but that's always lingered. And occasionally CJ seems redundant to the stuff that Dame does. CJ McCollum disappears in regular season games for stretches and, and has off weeks where you're like, Anthony Simons should be starting over him or Gary Trent Jr. should be, we don't need him. We have these other guys. And in the end, when it comes down to getting a bucket, he gets buckets, dude. Like that Nuggets game seven, he – if, I swear to God, you could pull it up. All, like he did the same thing in the Nuggets game seven, where he hits a bucket and there's the hits a basically a go ahead, ice cold step back jumper at the top of the key and and just stares the camera down. But yeah, that moment uh, is for some reason when he gets angry or what, like they're my my favorite moments. Honestly, like I. I I was just looking at that gif of him going, he can't fucking guard me and into the camera on, on a loop before we started. Yeah. And it's, it's been incredible. Like the, the, the three, the step back three, he ended up making. And then like when he was ISOed against John Morant and then ended up pulling up 
uh, for, I believe, a deep two. It was just incredible that yeah. they were kind of going to him during those oh. moments when you have someone like Dame. And obviously they were trying to get the ball out of Dame's hands and um, letting CJ work. It's pretty incredible what he's doing with a, a literally a broken back. Yeah. Um, and I've been, I'm, it's, it's, you know, I've criticized Portland in the past in terms of whether or not this duo can work, but with the way they've been playing, it's, pretty incredible to see how they've grown as a team and you know guys that have weren't heralded coming into the league at all and didn't come from big programs and they've proven that they can play off of each other pretty well and we have a mellow sighting too right like yes mellow has, yeah yeah he no, made mellow. That- Big yeah. three today. Uh, to yeah. basically, ice he was the not game. that good today, but that was a clutch. That was a clutch shot. Um, and uh, in the Mavs game, he was their Mavs second game. best player, basically. Yeah, twenty six points, I believe, in the Mavs game. So he looked like he's looked fairly legit. Now, kind of moving forward and look, being forward thinking and looking at their series against the Lakers in the one eight matchup. There's been a lot of talk in NBA Twitterverse, NBA podcasts that have been floated out there. Our favorite, Bill Simmons. Um, and I say that somewhat ironically. Yeah, like our problematic fave slash like guy we have learned to love to hate, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Um, he's like he's floated out there that Portland has a more than better good more than good shot I guess of beating the Lakers in the first round uh Chris Haynes has kind of floated that out there as well and I mean he was a former Blazers he's like boys with Damon so so right yeah but like a couple national guys are floating this idea out there that the Blazers have a very real shot of beating the Lakers, especially with the Lakers not really having uh, Avery Bradley in the mix anymore uh, to guard uh, CJ or Dame um, on the perimeter. It makes it an interesting case. Now, I kind of know your thoughts, but how do you feel about this series going into it? And one of the points that I did want to make before you kind of go into go into how you feel about uh, that series is I I just feel like they're one they're missing the one guy yeah. in terms of like you've always, one you have always guy. said this Kevin just just yeah. FYI this is not a, a new take from you but but keep going I'm not I'm not being mean no no it's it's not it, it, it I have said that and I've always kind of said that but. I think what's hard for me to take is that they kind of already have the guy on yeah. the roster. He just opted out of playing. Yeah. Like Trevor yeah. Ariza, Trevor Ariza could have been that guy instead of playing Mario Hizonia. Hell, even Rodney Hood, he's not going to be a defensive stopper, but at least he's a legitimate three. They have no threes on this team. They yeah. didn't after Rodney Hood got hurt, and that's why they traded for Ariza. I mean, even if you go back to the to the real, it's crazy how long this season has been. But like when you go back to the 
the beginning of this Blazer season was so damn frustrating and watching like Kent Bazemore have to play the three and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. You're, you're just absolutely right. They have no threes and that is their, their downfall. I mean, with all due respect to Karis LeVert, who, who was very good in the bubble on the whole, I think he was like second team all bubble when the, when the, when the media voted on it today. And uh, in that Blazer game, you saw his, we've we've talked about this in the past i think even in person maybe when we uh when we maybe have gone to see blazers nest games or whatever or just talking about like his ability to get to the rim he has this weird herky jerky style mm-hmm. where he kind of just like he just kind of like stomp it's not like honesty but it's like he kind of just like saunters to the rim and goes in this weird motion and then all of a sudden he's at the rim kind of thing um but the the point i was trying to make is like a guy like that they just can't put anyone on him uh mellow is for for his contributions and you know what the thing i will give credit to blazers for defensively is like when push comes to shove they have been able to get the stops when they needed to hell uh you were talking about cj it's important to remember he also made the shot to put them up four in that blazer in that next game. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of another one of those patented pull-ups around, around the free throw line, top of the key that he, he seems to make 80% of the time when, when he needs to. Um, he's the one who actually, we were talking about Lavert. Uh, Karis Lavert has a chance to end the blazer season and doesn't really go to the rim when, when he, I think, should have because he had been getting there unstoppably. I'm going on a tangent now. But T.J. McCollum, actually, when you watch that, that sequence over again, he kind of is smart enough to, to, to really take away Levert's left and, and kind of throw off his timing just enough that – and I think the combination of that – they were talking about this on Dunked On with, like, the combination of that and them deciding to pretty much take it all the way down, down mm-hmm. – a point which you understand why they did it because they're probably so scared of Damian Lillard sticking one in their eye at the, at the horn as he has done so many times. Uh, but I, the combination of, of the CJ's just ability to throw off his timing, just a tad combined with the time running down allows them to get a stop. Anyway, all that being said, they have no one to stop a guy like Karis LeVert. So I don't, um, really anticipate that they're going to have a guy to stop LeBron. I, I think it's a pretty reasonable uh, assessment to kind of make. And I think a lot of that early, the Blazers can take the Lakers hype was based on the, their, the Blazers offensive prowess in these games. They've been, I think the best offense maybe behind the Mavs, but I'm, I'm not quite sure in the bubble. Um, combined with the Lakers. I mean, have you watched any of these Lakers games? They look bad. Man, they don't look. They good. do not look good. Um, my brother has. I I really trust my brother's ability to to judge NBA games. He has been a successful and wagerer on the NBA game at various points throughout the season, and he's watched a lot of these Laker games. And like they played the Nuggets. Uh, they played the Nuggets a few days ago, and uh, they were five point favorites, and they hadn't won a game. Like they were like one and something, and it's a game they play everyone in and they just lose to the nuggets who aren't even trying to win. They, or they do win. I'm sorry. They do win, but they only win on kind of a, a freak Kyle Kuzma three fading away with two seconds left. 
when the the Nuggets are playing uh, what's that dude's name Dozier and Bull Bull in the fourth quarter. Uh, something looks wrong with their offense specifically, and it's weird. You wonder where it's coming from. I wonder if, to some reason, like to some extent, losing a guy like Rondo and then losing, I guess, uh, Bradley also, you just start to kind of lose those guys who were handling the ball when LeBron wasn't, and they're out of sorts in that way. Uh, is it just this idea that they don't have that much this classic LeBron problem that looks like it had been remedied, but as you lose a guy like Bradley, all of a sudden it starts to rear its head again, where it's like, where is kind of the, the, the shooting or where are those role player guys who are, who are going to pick up some of the slack uh, when, when things get bad? I don't know. I haven't really paid much attention to like Danny green or anything like that, but uh yeah, anyway, so I think it's a combination of the Blazers looking so potent offensively with the Lakers looking so underwhelming. But I'm kind of always of the mind, like, with this stuff, especially with LeBron over the years. And, I mean, because he didn't make the playoffs last year, it's easy to forget this. But, like, this kind of stretch isn't really that uncommon with a LeBron-led team. And I'm kind of thinking of this take in the moment now. But what I was going to say is, like, I feel like with these teams, Sure, will they maybe struggle in a couple games? Yes, but they don't tend to really fall off like that. They tend to usually show up in the playoffs. So between that and the inability and that lack of a wing guy, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a series almost akin to the Western Conference Finals last year or some of these series that Portland has lost in the past where the games are individually all very close, but the series itself isn't that, uh, isn't that competitive going four or five. Uh, if they got to six, like that would kind of be the thing that would, that would be that where I'd be ecstatic. And at that point you, you give yourself a shot and whatever happens happens. But, um, I'm not quite sure I see it. Like the case is definitely compelling that Lillard is, um, Lillard is primed to go off against against this Lakers team uh, and work at that 50-a-game clip. Like, is fatigue going to become a factor? I don't know. Um, and you could also make the argument that, like, the even though he has not played very well in the bubble and has kind of taken on this, like, it, it's starting to give me Myers-Leonard vibes, which scares me and is scary to, like, you knowing – the Blazers what more than most people. Zach Collins is giving me Myers Leonard vibes of late, which which mm-hmm. scares me of this kind of untapped potential who just does know not know what the fuck to do on a court kind of thing. Zach Collins on AD is just in these those. It'll be, maybe Vogel's going to pull out AD at center a lot more in the playoffs, but but I think a, Collins has a shot to to slow down AD enough where they can pick up a game or two. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, kind of, kind of. As I'm talking myself out, uh, I, I don't see it being particularly competitive, despite the the Laker woes as of late. And the Laker woes definitely give me concern for them going forward as you get to the second round in the Western Conference Finals. But but as much as I love this Blazer team, and as as happy as I am at the end of the day with what they've done, and I feel good about them for the future based on this bubble performance. No, I don't think 
they have any chance of winning the series, to to put it bluntly. I mean, you know, there's always a chance, but I, I feel like it's – I think they do get to actually – I actually do think they get to six games. Um, it's I, – I think the comparison that you made to last year's Western – or was it last year or two – last year's Western Conference Finals um, – where all the individual games are close, but the the whole series doesn't end up being close at all, is probably the right comparison. I just think the Lakers team has been just enough off that it looks questionable to me. Yeah. Um, I, I just don't really know who they're going to put on Dame. It's probably going to be Danny Green or Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And I just don't know if they have the speed slash the foot speed slash quickness to keep up with someone like Dame um, when he has the ball in his hands. And that's one of those things that really would worry me as a Lakers fan, having someone that can guard um, a lead guard like Dame and CJ too. CJ is one of those guys that can create off the dribble as well. So, it it gets concerning. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, you guys don't really have a guy to guard LeBron. It seems like it's no. Wrong. It's going to be like Gary. It's probably going to be like Carmelo. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I I hope they. I wouldn't. I mean, depending on. I think if AD and uh, if they they're sticking with the AD right AD Javale thing for the most part, you probably start Collins and. Uh, you probably start Collins and Nurkic, but I'd kind of be interesting. You saw it down the stretch of the Nets game, and I was kind of liking the Melo, even though defensively it'll be an issue against the Lakers. I'm kind of liking the idea of Dame, CJ, Gary Trent, Melo, Nurkic. If, if AD's playing at center and you kind of just throw both of those guys at LeBron and see what happens and hope AD doesn't toast Nurkic too much, uh, but, but it's not promising. Yeah. It's certainly not promising. I mean, maybe you give Zach Collins some shots at at, at LeBron, uh, although, unfortunately, I think that was an idea of him at the four, was like maybe he can stay with some of these guys. But uh, in the Celtics game, for example, Tatum just absolutely ate his lunch, basically, and, and to me showed that he is just not ready to guard those those more combo four types at all, which, which I don't think either of us are particularly surprised by, but um, having now fully cut you off to make the exact same point you're making. No, there's not a guy on this team who can guard LeBron. I'm interested to see Gary Trent jr. Try. I think that'll be fun. Um, yeah. Because he's yeah. been a real pest. I think actually he reminds me of Patrick Beverly in some ways. Um, Interesting. Not at okay. nearly as good, but, like, he reminds me of Patrick Beverly in the way that, like, he is antagonistic and he will get steals and make timely defensive plays. But from possession to possession, like, just being a pure on-ball guy, I don't quite think he's there yet. Um, and maybe he will be, but I think for that reason, that's why it will be interesting to watch a Gary Trent try and guard him, but not necessarily um, successful. Yeah, and I, I think someone like Gary Trent, this is like a really important experience type of thing moving forward as well. Just yeah, just because 
Ariza isn't in the bubble now, he's, you know, Trent's pretty much had his, he's basically a pseudo starter for them yeah. at this point. And he's like a traditional six man at the very least. You know what I mean? Right, like right. He has been that, he is the decided other guy who's not one of the starters. And right. frankly, there hasn't really been anyone behind him who's shown anything except for maybe Whiteside in a, in a couple moments. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but uh, there have been a lot of texts from me to you talking about fucking Whiteside. Uh, like, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's yeah. not something I have. I don't have a lot of confidence going past him on the bench either. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm done talking now. Keep going. <laughs> no, no, I, I just think, you know, I think, while maybe this series doesn't work out for Portland, if they if you're forward looking, yeah, this Portland team is fairly exciting for the future, especially if they're able to get Hood back and healthy. It seems like there'll be a later start to next year. It seems like they can make a really big push um, in the Western Conference starting next year um, if they have their guys back and are healthy. It seems like Whiteside's probably not going to get re-signed. They'll probably, yeah. they'll probably put Collins at the five a little yeah. bit more. Yeah. Um, I think he's back up five. Back up year, five probably. next year. And It'll be then, interesting to see if they bring back Mello on the minimum or something too. Like, do you think he's earned that from an outsider's perspective? I mean, assuming no one else is throwing a huge contract at him, maybe some team is going to get suckered into that. But if you're Neil Olshay, do you if if Melo's willing to come back as like a bench guy, would you bring him back, or do you think it's like it was one year he he had his moments, uh, but that's it? What what do you what do you think of that as a gut feeling? My, I mean, my gut feeling is if they're able to bring him back for something like the mid-level exception, um, like, which is, I believe like the mini mid-level, I believe is like $5 million. I I think if they give him that, I can't really foresee him getting more than that. But if he's willing to come back for that number, I'm bringing him back. He's, I, I think he's provided enough off the bench where you're kind of encouraged to be like, all right, he can, you know, go off for 20 every once in a while. Yeah. May, probably, you know, more likely 10 to 15 and a night. That's not terrible for another wing guy, you know, three, three slash more like a four off the bench. That's not, you know, that can stretch the floor, shoot it from three. And it seems like he's really found his way and found his carved out a role there um, in Portland. And it, and it would all fall into place with, you know, Ariza back, Hood, Hood back. Then you start getting fairly deep at the wing spot yeah. um, with Hood, Ariza, Mello, and Gary Trent kind of yeah. developing. That's four guys for two yeah. spots. Yeah, and yeah, that becomes really exciting. Plus, you got Dame, CJ. Then you know, hopefully, Simon somewhat develops. Um, and then you got you pretty much have your nine man rotation. You're getting right excited there. here, boy. I know Damn. you have your you have your nine man rotation. I, right I think there. yeah, it's, I think it's I exciting. think I I would be excited. I for next I think year. as yeah, I think as you say that, 
it's actually you mentioning those guys and saying for two spots to me maybe makes it less likely Melo comes back because here this year he's been able to, for better and for worse at times, he's been able to, he's been the guy at the four. He's going to start and, you know, he'll have those possessions. He did it today sometimes like where he like kind of gets the ball and just pounds the rock and takes a contested two or whatever and misses it. And you're like, dude, we have David and CJ on our team like why are you doing this kind of thing um but he's been able to kind of get away with that because they have no one else really to go to but uh I think next year that's why he makes more sense as a sixth man I think and I, I would only be willing to bring him back as a sixth man because as a sixth man like if your starting lineup is Dame, CJ, Hood, Ariza, Nurkic, which I feel pretty good about. And then your sixth and seventh men are Carmelo and Trent. And you kind of play those two guys together. And I think they complement each other fairly well that, and, and in that kind of, in that kind of scenario, Carmelo Anthony has more of a license to kind of pound the rock and, and do his thing offensively because he, there are less options on the floor. When, when you're part of a bench unit necessarily, it starts to make sense to me. Um, otherwise, I'm not so sure. But, yeah, I mean, we've spent probably too much time talking about the Blazers now. But I, I think you make a, a valid point. And uh, I think that's why overall as a Blazer fan in this series, I'm more looking at those kind of those kind of intangibles. I'm, I'm interested in seeing how Nurkic plays now. It's His last playoffs was uh, – was in 2018 in that um, in that Pelican series where he really did not play well, and I think he's grown a lot since then. Despite only coming back from the injury relatively recently, I'm looking at him and how he looks. Does he look like a viable third option on a, on a team that can make a deep run in the playoffs? I'm looking at a guy like Gary Trent Jr. and wondering is this a guy who is uh, if not a not necessarily a cornerstone, but is he a uh, a guy you want on your team for a long time. I mean, Blazer fans have been thinking a lot about Wesley Matthews and uh, I, I think that's a possibility, but I think this, this series will go away in, in determining if he's really up to the task when it comes to really good competition. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm more concerned with that than like the amount of games they win or whatever. I hope, I hope they win. I'll officially predict Blazers and I mean, uh, Lakers in six, but, um, you know, hopefully it's, hopefully it's just not too, too one-sided. It's kind of all I'm hoping for. And, and you see some of those positive things to take forward. Yeah. I'm kind of in agreement with you there with Lakers in six. Um, you know, it's like basic for me, it's like five and a half. If that yeah. was like an, a real number, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. Lakers. My, it's kind of, uh, my, my heart is telling me five, but, uh, my heart is telling me six, but my mind is telling me five, and and I'm willing to go with my heart on that. Hell, man! Remember that 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 Thunder series. They, yeah, the Blazers have, for all their credit, they've had this weird combo. We can move on after this, but it's been interesting to watch. Uh, no, we're just the Dame, Blazers podcast. With Dame being so much, I think this is something people will find interesting. The Blazers are just such a weird. They've had a weird combination of, and you see this in individual games sometimes I made a joke to you during the next game where I'm like is it possible to choke and be clutch at the same time 
And I think the Blazers have done a lot of that where they have all these moments. Like they've gotten swept in the playoffs a lot. They've, you know, blown leads a lot. But then they've they've won series like the Thunder series and the Nuggets series with people, Yusuf Nurkic, a lot of people weren't picking them. And uh, they've, uh, you know, had these, these walk-off wins and stuff like that. So you really never know with them. So I think it makes sense that you're in that five-and-a-half range because because they've done both things in the past oh and one thing i wanted to mention i that this is what i was trying to say it's interesting to see what damian lillard haters are like um because he doesn't really have a lot but him being in the in the spotlight so much having played so well and with the with the paul george beef it's interesting to see like what a damian lillard hater says because i think he's so universally beloved and it kind of is this weird t- half take of like he hasn't do- like they say he hasn't done anything, which he has two of the six or I mean walk off series shots of all time. How how do you say that? But uh, there is this we- he exists in this weird limbo because despite being objectively one of the best players in the league and having a lot of accomplishments, there still is this weird feeling that like. Dave, he's never been a serious on a serious title contender. So I wonder if some of that, how this series goes, will play some role in seeing how that narrative yeah, going I, forward. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that's a really interesting narrative. I, one of the things for him, and that half criticism of he's never been on a real contender, is because he hasn't been provided with the guys to kind of yeah. make a run like that yeah um and they've gotten on un- they've gotten incredibly unlucky with some of yeah. the injuries at at times you know LaMarcus Aldridge back in the day when he left and when Dame was ascending it just the timing really hasn't been there for him and I think next year might be the culmination of that mm. of of a possibility let's say they bring someone else in that you know, I'm, I would be reaching for names if I named someone, but if they were to bring another piece in, I yeah. think you could conceivably see something in the shortened season for next year, possibly to for them to kind of make a serious run, um, especially yeah. with with the 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 unsettling unsettled nature of what the schedule looks like next year. Um, before this podcast becomes like yeah super i think we can close out i think <laughs> this podcast is going to be named renamed ray and the blazer boys for uh yeah, for the first 45 minutes i mean that exactly. was partially my bad but uh no no you no. know it's, hopefully people got go there. it wasn't a fun conversation to have i'm glad i got to i got to have it with you um but uh yeah we do we do got to move on definitely yeah. so so take it where take it where you want to go next so for me, I think the most interesting series of this fir- of the first round, for me at least, and what I'll be tuning into the most, where there's real upset potential in my eyes, is the Houston Rockets OKC matchup, which wow. I am just extremely excited about. And maybe you see it a little bit differently than me, but I just think 
with Russell Westbrook and the injury concerns and him being out, I believe with the, the strained quad or something like that, there's real possibilities of um, this OKC team. And I'm pulling for OKC. Um, for Could you imagine just with, with the trade that ended up happening with Chris Paul? I'm sure Chris Paul's extremely motivated to – get this win over his his former team in Houston it would just be an incredible story and I think it's a real possibility that what since Westbrook's out um, it leaves Houston shorthanded now Harden can go ridiculously insane and pretty much take the game over a la Dame um, and go very Harden centric and you know D'Antoni could just have Harden have the ball in his hand go for 45 to 50 points a game but I I think this series is going to be fairly close um, I'm super tempted to take OKC in seven but I, what are your feelings about this series? Well, and do you agree that it's one? Do you think it's the most interesting series in this in this first round? I think it is in the West. Um, I think it is in the West. Okay, maybe. I don't know. Mavs Clippers is really interesting too for a lot of reasons. Even though I I agree with you on the upset. I agree with you on the upset potential thing. Um, I tend to think Sixers Celtics is really interesting, mostly for narrative reasons. Mm-hmm. To be frank with you, the Simmons injury kind of killed a lot of the basketball yeah. intrigue. You you probably are right though, but I do think it's in, it, it's interesting to me because I was listening to Lowe's pod. He does a podcast with this guy David Thorpe before the first round every year, and they were both I think Thorpe picked the picked the Thunder, and uh, Lowe was saying like I think it could be close. Is it the Westbrook injury or were people already on this train though? I'm kind of asking you because you were a big, like, I think the Rockets could be that second team in the West if, or be that yep. third team yeah. in the West if it's not. So what, what I'm just asking, like, honestly, not in like a skeptical way, cause I'm kind of sorting out my feelings about it, but did something change to kind of, flip you on that before the Westbrook injury or is it just the Westbrook injury in and of itself? I I think it's partially um, the Westbrook injury. Um, I think the, I, I just think, you know, Eric Gordon's kind of on his way back and that, that lack of depth was to me was a little trouble in terms mm-hmm. of how they looked. Now, Gordon's back. He's played a couple games, uh, 20 minutes um, in the Indiana game on August 12th. Then on the 14th, he played against the Sixers for 23 minutes. So he's working his way back. But before that, this team was looking fairly sparse depth-wise, which had me concerned. And heavy reliance on Ben McLemore just – yeah, didn't excite me to the point where I'm like, all right, this is my number two team. And like, can push before the season started, can push for the number two seed in the West. Um, and that's probably where 
my skepticism came in, uh, just the lack of depth. Now, if Gordon comes back and is, you know, can perform at the level he was performing at, um, you know, pre all of this happening. And I, I think the Russell, the Westbrook injury definitely does take this team. It definitely takes, takes this team in a new direction in terms of it's going to be very hard and centric. And we've seen that play out and it can get very redundant and it's stoppable. It gets predictable. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much where my thinking comes in with where OKC and how Chris Paul, you know, is the point guard and can really distribute the ball. And I really like how Shea's been playing. Um, I I just think they have a little bit more flexibility in terms of different ways to play Yeah. And in comparison to how Houston plays. And that's probably why I've come to the conclusion, like this is the upset pick that is a real possibility. And I'm, if it actually does happen, I wonder where it, obviously I don't think D'Antoni comes back, but I wonder what ends up happening to the future of this Rockets team. Yeah, that's pretty interesting, man. Because uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure I see it that way. But maybe I'm just a little – it's a little bit more narrative-driven. I want to say, first and foremost, I think we deserve a pretty big pat on the head. Um, I don't know if I was the one who picked them in the beginning of our – like when we did our team draft early in the season. But I felt like certainly neither of us were saying they're going to be the five seed in the, in the West. But I think we were pretty high on the Thunder compared to the average person, just mm-hmm. from the perspective of, hey, this team has Chris Paul and Danilo Gallinari and, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander. Like, everyone was picking, picking them as a lottery team to blow it, all, blow it all up. And I think we were kind of more on the side of, like, hey, now, like, this, this team could end up kind of in that playoff picture if, if they start off well. And they didn't even start off particularly well. But they they really kind of kind of cruised along and became a good story, and I I wanted to give ourselves some credit because I think we were liked them more than the average person. But I, I kind of feel like this is where it comes to an end. To to be mm. frank, you make a compelling case. You make a compelling case with this kind of Chris Paul, the gravity of Chris Paul, and without Westbrook, his ability to kind of kind of pick the rockets apart a little bit but but there are two two things i wanted to say and i'm kind of taking westbrook the severity of westbrook's injury is is certainly a wild card but would i pick the thunder to win if i know westbrook's not playing every game maybe but but I, i'm not sure and and here are kind of the reasons why one, I don't think the Thunder are the team to take advantage of the Rockets' play style, kind of. Um, you know, I, I think Lowe was talking about this a little bit. Chris Paul, one of his great abilities comes from uh, being able to kind of pick apart defensive weaknesses. And although this isn't like a world-beating defense team necessarily – I think this kind of small ball style is pretty well suited to the Thunder. I think they can play Stephen. Like, I think, sure, will there be a couple of games where Stephen and Adams mashes them on the boards? Maybe. But I think for the most part, they're going to have guys like 
you know, guys like PJ Tucker and, you know, even your Austin River. You know, it's been, it's cool to like Austin Rivers now. Like yeah. that, like, like these guys like Nate Duncan and whatever, or Lowe or whoever, they're like, yeah, Austin Rivers is actually pretty good. It's, it's kind of funny to see that. But I, I, I think they will do a decent job of guarding these guys. Um, specifically, I think Danilo Gallinari, how he plays, is, is going to be big in this series. I presume he'll have Rocco on him. And, and I don't see that as a particularly favorable matchup for the Thunder. So, so there's kind of that thing where I just like, although I do see what you're saying from the perspective of, especially without Westbrook, CP3 can, can do his thing. I'm not quite convinced that that it's exactly that that kind of matchup uh, when you really get into the schematics of it. And the other thing is just like, yeah, narratively, I feel like this it, it makes more sense to me intuitively that like this has been a good story, but it was a regular season good story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just do, especially when you consider uh, one other thing I wanted to say where, where I disagreed with the way you put the narrative. Sure, the Rockets don't have that much depth, but when you get on to the, to the Thunder bench or even like their starting, starting twos and, or their starting threes, rather, I mean, you know who's starting at the three for them right now? Uh, I know it's, uh, what's his name? Dort. Lou Dort. I mean, yeah. you're looking at when you get into that, you're get and these some of these guys have actually played fairly well. I haven't watched that much Thunder, but but I know Basically guys played like well. Bob, I'm basically Nader. Um, there's been a little bit of a Roberson resurgence, but the point I'm just trying to make is it's not like I'm looking at the two benches and being like, oh, that's a definite check mark for the Thunder, right? And yes, you make a compelling point about this kind of if Westbrook's not there, this thun this grind it out Harden style, which arguably goes against your, this is an exciting series. If it gets, if it turns out, it, it's not going to be particularly fun to watch. But I think my counter would just be that that Harden ball. Yes, you're right. It's never gotten them to the finals, but against teams that aren't called the golden state warriors, it's worked pretty fucking well for the mm. most part. Fair. So I, I I think the, the I I think the OKC is is a compelling uh compelling foil for them and there kind of is this tendency to to look at the Thunder and and start liking them more and more. The the other point I wanted to make is Shea Gilgis Alexander. This is his kind of first real. I mean, he was on 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 a on did that that Clipper team was at least in playoff contention. Did they make it as the eighth seed? Yeah, right. So he has some. So, yeah. so he has some playoff minutes, but he hasn't. He hasn't necessarily had. Uh, this is his first time being one of the guys in a playoff series, and generally, it takes one or two before you real. And believe me, dude. Shea Gilgis, I just didn't say dude a lot on this podcast. Shea Gilgis <laughs> Alexander is one of probably my five to seven favorite players in the NBA. I just like watching him play, and I think the future is bright for him. Uh, but I, I'm not exactly ready to just assume that he's going to come in and start killing it right away. So for all of those reasons, I'm a little bit more skeptical than you are. For me, for the Rockets, um, to, even without Westbrook, uh, 
until I see it, I'm not ready to to predict an upset yet. And I, I'd probably say Rockets in six. It seems like you're going to go Thunder in seven based on the way you're talking. I presented all the facts. And I, I, I mean, I, God, you're going to do I, this lawyerly yeah. bullshit of like uh, no. setting up all of the counter argument to then. It reminds <laughs> me of like when I was writing my thing for law review and you're trying uh, to pad it out. So you have to say like all of the counter argument and lay it out in huge detail. And then you get to the point where you're making your argument. You're like, way. yeah, but just none of that's good. So it doesn't we'll matter. Go the other way, basically. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to be bold and say Thunder in seven. Um, I'm just a little bit worried that if Russell misses, let's say, two games and the Thunder go up 2-0, does the mental fortitude of the Rockets end up staying strong? Or do they kind of fold fold and they end up collapse onto themselves? And I think that is a real possibility for this Rockets team. Now, you brought up some really great points that made me think, yeah, I could see it there, especially the bench unit idea, because it's not like the Thunder have great depth either. If they're able to get out to a quick couple wins without with with Westbrook not being there, they only have to win two out of the next uh, five games. Yeah, And I think that is the I think that's probably how I'm looking at it. So yeah, that that I'm does going, sound like the recipe, and it's, it's definitely a plausible yeah. one. I, I could see it happening, so I'll be bold and say Thunder in seven. So, All right. So which which what, what do we turn to next? Should we go? Should we go? Should we go Western Conference? Knock out all Western Conference? Yeah, I I, I think that I think that makes sense. Um, okay. What, why don't what? we talk about Clippers Mavs a little? Bit? Yeah, I was going to say cause, Clippers Mavs because I'm kind of interested in have you? You are. It's well known on this podcast, although we love them both, that I am kind of the Trey Young guy and you're the Luca guy. You oh were texting me when Bill Simmons said that Luca Doncic gets great Larry Bird assists, unlike those cheap James Harden's black guy assists. You were just texting me with clap hands emojis. <laughs> um, so given that, uh, now all, that was a very in joke for, for any of our Simmons heads out there, but, uh, have the Mavs, how kind of have, have your view on the Mavs, uh, changed or stayed the same in the bubble? You think they got, they got any sort of material shot here or it's kind of one of those up-and-coming team, probably gentlemen sweep, uh, and they're, but they're a team to look out for in the future kind of thing. I think they t- they could take a game. I mean, yeah. I, it's not out of the question um, that they take a game. Even, like, if some – this is the – I think this is five and a half, too, and you go under on yeah. this on this series where I think it goes to five games, uh, Clippers. But I'm I've been super impressed with how Luca looks in terms of the way he looks in pick and roll and just the it's I mean the passes are pretty incredible, um, but he's triple double James Harden reincarnated into a European white dude and it's he he's looked really good in the bubble and I've been impressed with a lot of their off 
you know, the, a lot of a lot has been made about their offensive efficiency, them being the number one offense in the NBA and how good they look. But when I was, I believe I was watching that game where they ended up losing to the Blazers. Um, and I was just super impressed with how well they were shooting, th- shooting the three down yeah. the open man. And like, we're, we're just moving around Portland's defense um, so well side to side that they pretty much got open, open three looks all the time uh, whenever they wanted. And they have a lot of these guys, Tim Hardaway Jr. makes some shots like Luca, obviously KP. I think Chris Dops is the guy that ends up maybe in their future changing the trajectory of how far this team can go in terms of whether or not he can fulfill his potential. And Luca, it doesn't seem like he's stopping in terms of getting better or fulfilling that potential as well. So it seems like there's even more room for him to grow. And, you know, this is all to say that I think the Clippers still win in five. And that just kind of shows how deep this team is. They're, they're so good um, when they want to be defensively and offensively, like Kawhi, Paul George, everyone just kind of fits into their roles when they accept them. Um, and I don't foresee them really having trouble, uh, with this team just because I feel like they're going to be able to score it well against the, the Mavs, uh, defensively. Yeah. Um, I, I tend, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, it's kind of interesting to consider the Lakers conceptually, like we'll maybe get to this later on, but I think in the time we've been doing this, at least this is the most murky I've ever felt in an NBA season about like who the champion will be mm-hmm. like, because none of these out of the Lakers, Bucks and Clippers, I don't think anyone has, I mean, in the bubble at the very least, like really shown themselves to kind of be a cut above the pack because we're still stuck in this kind of Clipper. And part of that is because guys like Lou Williams, um, went to get chicken wings, uh, and, uh, <laughs> people like Montrez Harrell just, weren't playing as much kind of had to leave the bubble for personal reasons. And we didn't really see the team kind of in its fully composed um, state. So kind of like, I kind of do, I think people give a need, especially I think I picked the Clippers to win the championship before the season. And I think I still would, but I feel like we kind of give the Clippers a decent amount of a pass where it's like, yeah, you know, they look okay and they're not really giving us everything, but when the time comes, they'll, they'll be fine. But I don't know, maybe they've earned it. They are the second best team in the West. So, so, so maybe they've earned it, but I kind of am interested to see now that like there's something to play for, as it were, if this team turns up a notch, especially defensively, um, like you pointed out. Um, And I think defensively is kind of where, this is Luca's first time in the playoffs and that's going to be exciting to see, but I think he's kind of up against the worst possible team because mm-hmm. I think you throw Paul George and you throw Kawhi at him and it's, he's going to have to really put those playmaking skills to good use because I, I don't know if they're going to give him those dry kind of weirdo drives to the lane that he normally gets and they're going to try and make him more of a shooter, which he has. 
is kind of his one weak spot, uh, especially catch and shoot threes. In his, he doesn't really have much of a catch and shoot game. It's just kind of those, those slow mo hard and step backs, and he shoots like thirty one percent, I think, from three. Mm-hmm. So I think they're really going to. It'll be an interesting test case to see if he's been pretty much above beyond reproach uh, in his NBA career thus far, and it will be interesting to see if if a team as as capable as the Clippers defensively, and they were fifth in defensive rating this season, so I think it's it's arguable that they have a step to take into that top three, top two range. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to kind of shut him down as much as the, the, that is capable of. And you mentioned Porzingis for the future, but I think in this series, he's the most interesting guy because he's the guy the Clippers don't really have much of a, much of a guy for. So this is, especially when you consider a possible matchup down the line with the Lakers, not that Anthony Davis and Chris Epps Porzingis are completely analogous, but you can maybe at least start to see the outlines of what their plans for dealing with a guy like that are. Um, so I think it's possible that that matchup or matchup hole to some extent gives the Mavs a game. But yeah, I'd say uh, gentlemen sleep, gentlemen's sleep Clippers in five. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how ready the the Clippers are if they really come out in business mode or if maybe they kind of continue waffling around a little bit and end up dropping an extra game or two because of that. Yeah, I wonder if they end up like tinkering a little bit with their rotations. They have a lot of guys to play. And yeah. I wonder I, I just wonder if they end up tightening the rotation to the the traditional standard eight nine guys um with the, you know for the playoffs and they're they really need to figure out who those eight to nine are and because there's so many of them they have basically a roster of 12 guys that could probably be in the playoff fringe rotation for some of those guys towards the end of the bench but I mean I think there could be some tinkering that goes on where they end up maybe dropping an extra game or so, but I I don't see it any differently. Um, But yeah, Luca has been incredible to watch in the bubble and uh, we'll see what, and I I am pretty excited because offensively this Dallas team can, like they can look really good against anyone regardless. And it's all really a matter of, of the defensive intensity that I, I, probably think Kawhi I'm trying to think if Kawhi or Paul George will start out on him uh um probably George maybe to kind of start out and then just to save Kawhi's legs at the other end um because he'll be running through a bunch of pick and rolls um I could totally see um them just switching one after the other and it's going to be a lot for Luka to take in his first playoff series um So why don't we close out the West, um, go to Nuggets versus Jazz. Um, do you see, like, do the Jazz have any chance here? Um, yeah, I think more of a chance than people think. This is kind of a weird match to talk about because doesn't it seem like it's like 
kind of this battle of the end of the Western Conference, like other sisters kind of thing. Yeah, like they're the both teams like, where yeah, like they're both teams where that it was cool to. I mean, I think the Bogdanovich injury kind of dampened people on Utah a lot for good reason. But like at various points, it was cool to be like Utah's really. I think I was like that before the season. Mm-hmm. I think I was yep. very high on Utah before the season. Utah's really cool or really good, and they also like it feels like the stature of the Nuggets in the eyes of certain NBA people. Although like they were always a little bit of a fool's gold team, like last year when they were the second seed. Uh, they kind of out or they were a top three. Were they the second seed or the third seed? I forget. But they kind of played better than expected and maybe outperformed their point differential a bit. But it was kind of cool to be like, ooh, the Nuggets, Jokic. And now it feels like it's kind of, they're both like seen as more meh, not really contenders. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it is kind of interesting that two of those teams are kind of facing each other here. Um but yeah, I think advantage Nuggets in part just because there are going to be times where this Utah team just can't score, um, yeah. and that's kind of been their problem over the years, and I think it will continue to be their problem. I, I don't really know what else I have to say beyond that on Utah. The thing for the Nuggets, obviously the place to go and something we haven't talked about on this podcast that has been very... Uh, on the lips of people of NBA fans is Michael Porter Jr. And Mm -hmm. how does this Michael Porter Jr. thing, he's been just like looking like a really awesome scorer, especially in the absence of Jamal Murray in some of these games. So maybe that's kind of another reason to to circle around a little bit, why people are maybe underrating perhaps the Snuggets team a little bit is just because they haven't really had it all together in these seeding games. Um, but seeing this Nuggets team all together, uh, and and Yo- Porter Jr. seems like just such an awesome compliment to to Jokic in many ways. Uh, that I don't know. You, you, it's just one of those where I haven't thought about it too deeply and have less takes schematically than I did. But I kind of just look at the rosters and go, "Yeah, Nuggets in six. Uh, no, what about you? I- no, I think it's going to be Nuggets in six too. Um, I I just think I worry about the Jazz's depth, like you were saying. Um, it 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 becomes concerning when you know Royce O'Neal has to kind of slide in there uh, into the starting lineup, and it gets pretty thin after that. Yeah, I, a lot I, yeah, I hear Jordan, Clark, Jordan Clarkson yeah. and off the bench. That's it becomes, the problem. Yeah, like Georges Niang. Like it became it becomes pretty tough. Like I think the starters can really they'll be able to hold up, but I think over the course of a seven game series, the Nuggets have just a little bit more depth. Obviously there's a little bit of I think there's some concerns in terms of whether or not um Will Barton and Gary Harris are gonna be able to be healthy to Gary to Harris is injured? <laughs> yeah it's god I mean, that guy just he's usually so healthy that i you know yeah so it's it's uh i think it's just a concern um yeah and michael porter jr he's been really freaking good like um it feels like he's been one of those guys or one of the first guys that 
was highly rated coming out of high school, number one recruit out of coming out of high school. Um, and usually after a couple of years, if the guy's injured and things like that, people still take chances on guys like that. And it seems like this is a guy where it's worked out for the team where, you know, you weren't expecting too much. He was coming off of that back injury and he basically took a red shirt year uh, last year. But he's really showed showed up, and he looks incredible in some of these games, like scoring a bunch of points. Yeah. Uh, like KD, not KD, like he's nah, going to be he the next super. KD, he looks but, comfortable. Uh, the, the KD thing I think I, I hear you on is like he'll just walk into some of these like three-pointers. You know what I mean? And yeah. just fire them over, guys, and look really comfortable doing it and draining them. And uh, that's always kind of a cool a cool move to see a guy have, especially so young. And his coronavirus takes, just so so progressive. So progressive. So, uh, yeah, conspiracy theory alert there. <laughs> um, yeah, and even someone like, you know, towards the beginning of the, the seeding games, and we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but Bull Bull, too, was, yeah. like, kind of showing some stuff. And, and that's pretty much the story of this Denver team. If you look up and down the roster, yeah. they're, they've really overachieved in terms of where they where they were um, in terms of their draft position and who they ended up choosing. And they've done a really great job filling out the roster and being able to take adequate risks and chances on guys that were honestly looked over by a lot of other teams. Um, and I'm sure like a lot of teams are kicking themselves um for not choosing Michael Porter Jr. or not giving Bull Bull a look and things like that. So before um, we move on, I wanted yeah. to say two things. I wanted to say two things. Mm-hmm. One thing I think we've given short shrift to uh, the Gobert Jokic kind of matchup is a fascinating one. Yeah. Just philosophically, Gobert being kind of your traditional big man, protect the rim, post up a little bit, a rim run on pick and rolls. Versus Jokic, kind of this very unorthodox, a lot of passing, a lot of working out of the high post, you know, finding mm-hmm. guys, uh, bringing the ball up the floor at times, running these one-five pick and rolls with Jamal Murray. That, that'll be interesting to see and seeing kind of like if those their differences neutralize each other or if one is able to kind of gain an advantage on the other because their skill sets are so different. I, I think that is an interesting question. And another thing I wanted to say, it'll be like a guy like Jamal Murray, Royce O'Neal will probably be on him, I guess. But like, if you're Donovan Mitchell, like, isn't it time for Donovan Mitchell to fucking do something already? Like, if mm. you want to be the guy... I, I really – I was a big fan of Don – it feels like he's just kind of starting to slip through the cracks. You know what I mean? Mm, like – Interesting. No. Isn't it time to – aren't you sick of losing – like, aren't you kind of sick of losing in the first round and and not being able to shoulder the load in some of these playoff games? I, I know I'm sounding a little bit like a hater, but, like, you look at this Nuggets matchup and you look at the guys who are going to be guarding you, you know, Jamal Murray, Monty Morris, like, okay, Gary Harris, if he's healthy, that's 
a toughish matchup. He did some good things on Dame. That'll be, but like, you know, let's go, man. Like, uh, I don't know. He's definitely printing that out. He, he's clipping this from our podcast and putting it out. This is going to be rookie. This is going to be, he's not even a rookie (laughs) 2.0. Yep. Yeah. Listen, man, I love Spida as much as anyone else, but you know, at some point you gotta, yeah, you're over there in Utah, like, you know, you're, the media doesn't give you as much scrutiny or whatever. And I think sometimes that works your advantage because like at some point you gotta, you gotta show up, man. And it's not the best, uh, it's not the best circumstance, but uh, like, if not now, when, like, where is this team go? I guess you get Bogdanovich next year, but like back next year, but if if the if the Jazz lose, don't they have to start? I love Quinn Snyder, but don't you have to kind of start asking some existential questions about? You know, I, I wanted to say this reminds me. This was a take I had. Um, Mitchell Gobert gives me a lot of Lillard, Lamarcus Aldridge vibes. Mm. Where and where one guy kind of is like the quieter, maybe a little bit of a head case type, and the other one is the more out in front of the cameras, flashy gets endorsements type. And I think it's, I think if you lose this series in like five or something like that, doesn't the front Dennis Lindsay in that front office have to take a long, hard look at breaking this team up? I don't know. Yeah, I think the Gobert, I think that's the piece to move, but I don't really know what they can get for him. Because yeah. those, those centers that are good defensively and are up for a contract and then can't really have they don't have a low post move or not super highly valued in today's NBA um, especially if they can't space the floor while providing the rim protection that Gobert does and you know Gobert is defensive player of the year you know top three pretty much every year type but even then he doesn't provide enough offensively to kind of be maybe the second best guy on a team. I'm not exactly sure that's good enough um, to, to raise the profile of the team like Utah to the heights that they would want to go to and where Donovan Mitchell would want to go to. And I, you know, the, the whole coronavirus thing and all that type of stuff that, said off all this stuff and I'm sure it would have happened to someone else if it wasn't Gobert especially with where it was what we know now um you know there's a lot of I'm there a lot of the reports that were being um written about this team because of that incident that ended up happening with Gobert getting it and then Donovan Mitchell eventually getting getting the virus there's been reported tension not that people have downplayed it within their organization but it's it's inevitable it seems that it doesn't seem like they're gonna there's gonna be a long-lasting relationship past even you know the next Bear contract when it's up and we'll see what ends up happening but yeah, I think you do make a good point. But I, I do like the Nuggets. 
in uh, in six, and so the I only just think we, their depth is a little bit better. So the only thing we disagreed on out of the West was was the Rockets. Houston. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Interesting. All right. Yeah. So so let's move over to the East now. Should we kind of start? from most exciting and work down to least exciting or should let's we go, throw let's go you a least, bone and talk about the, the Nets or something? Let's go least exciting to most exciting. Okay, um, so one eight would probably be we can probably Do we need to talk about that? No, like, I don't Milwaukee. Think so. I think that, maybe we can kind of just go Bucks update and we were having this conversation on uh, over text and it's probably more interesting than breaking down the series is this idea of is Toronto a legitimate threat or like you, you seem like you were maybe thinking about picking them to come out of the East. Was that more of a hypothetical or was that uh or is that a, do you it's, think that's a legitimate, it's a, a legitimate option here. It's a hypothetical that's trending towards legitimate options. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, I posed the question to you that does is, is Milwaukee's, stranglehold on the east for real or is it some of this regular season that coach bud kind of dresses up and is makes it look really nice coach of the year mike budenholzer to you sir yeah and does he make right, right does he make those things really nice and make it look like the offense is humming give it to Giannis, space the floor but in the playoffs they it's not like they've proven anything yet. You know, they, they lost in the second round last year. So there's those lingering questions there. And it's not like, and this was at the beginning of the season, what we were predicting. It's not like Milwaukee added to their team this past year. They, if they in fact got worse or with Brogdon leaving for Indiana. So I, for for me, I don't – and Toronto did get worse, obviously, without Kawhi. But the way they look chemistry-wise is exciting. I, I think Boston is in the mix, too, that can be – that can possibly make a run, um, especially if Tatum and Jalen Brown um, perform like they do. Um, it, they can be really exciting as well. So, Milwaukee – this first round series, I don't think there's much to talk about other than Giannis will probably dominate and it, it'll probably be four or five games. I'll, I'll go Bucks in five. Um, I'll give the Magic a game. But I, I think Giannis will look really good in this first, first round series. Um, and, yeah, the Jonathan Isaac injury kind of sucks. Um, that was like the first big injury of the bubble um, who, t- and he tore his ACL and that was, and he, you know, there, we can go down that whole rabbit. Hole yeah. Maybe we like, just pass on that one. Right. Right. Of uh, the kneeling and not kneeling, not wearing the uh, uh, black lives matter shirt and all that. But yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if, because I, I think I, not that I, Isaac changes the whole series, but he's also one of these weird, lanky, long dudes that they could have possibly put on Giannis, and they don't have him anymore. Um, but yeah, I, I go Bucks in five. Yeah, I, I'm going to take the Bucks in four. I just wanted to to 
the kind of way I've been thinking about the kind of way I've been thinking about this Bucks question, honestly, I'm not sure what the answer is. And listen, I like Toronto as much as anybody else. I was pretty high, another pat on the back for myself. I was yeah. pretty high on them before the season. Um, and like, listen, they've played really, really well. And I think the, are the Bucks, I mean, are the Raptors for real talk and well-deserved. But like the thing I kind of come back to at the end of the day and why I'm picking the Bucks to, to make, why I would still pick the Bucks to make it out of the East is like, it's, it's almost a, it's maybe not the best logical argument because I'm almost picking it because I think the counterfactual is, will be really bad. Like if the Bucks don't make it out, they, there's something wrong, right? Like yeah. at that point, like the problem becomes really, really serious. Or not the problem, but like this, oh, you know, they were kind of, are they maybe a regular season team? Oh, we don't know. Like whatever. If you can't get past that, this, like this Raptors team as good. Listen, man, I'm not taking anything away from them. They are a really good defensive team. They have a bunch of guys to throw at Giannis. That you know the the play they've legitimately defended this title. Like Siakam has has been good. Lowry is just magical at this point. He he probably will take charges until he's fifty seven years old. Like yeah. listen, but they they don't have a superstar on their team. Like mm. if you don't make it out of the East because of that team, like. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? And the Celtics, I'm more of a Celtics skeptic, but I think you look at, especially given the regular season performance, and you're like, this is a team that should be a notch below you guys. So if they don't make it out, like at some point, it's like, what, you know, what do you, if not now, when are you going to, like, how are we supposed to ever expect you're going to win the conference? So so kind of for that reason, I'm picking the Bucks just because I think if if reality <laughs> if they, they don't make it out, we there will be such serious questions that I'm just going to go the route that's less problematic because it seems more likely in a way. It it's not a great a great explanation, but um, it's kind of what seems like should happen based on on the rules of the universe as they as they appear to be right now. Um, one thing to keep an eye on, like in that, like just saying one thing about the series. I'm interested. I think we got to keep an eye on Eric Bledsoe, especially mm. if it's him and Fultz. Kind of that that thing. How does Eric Bledsoe look in terms of being up to the? To, Task defensively. If there's one of these games where Giannis is a little off, is he willing to? Is he capable of shouldering an offensive load? Because that seems like the thing that has popped up and is only going to continue to pop up, right? And it might not pop up in the Magic series. Well, once again, I'm saying they sweep. But as you get towards that possible matchup with a Toronto or a Celtics. And, you know, you're matching up against Fred Van Vliet or you're matching up against Lowry or you're matching up against Kemba. You know, that's kind of one of those Bucks weak points that has seen the rear its ugly head every year. So I, I want to try and be a little vigilant on keeping an eye on that now, because I think I think if we start to see cracks now, it's more likely that we see the whole thing crumble later on.
Yeah, and I think they'll have a little bit of time to kind of play around with whether, you know, they'll, I think especially with the matchups that are presented in front of them, I think Leto will get a longer leash to be able to kind of shoot his way out of a supposed slump that ends up coming out um, because I think they'll have this series pretty handedly um, wrapped up. So I don't really foresee it here. So, but you're right. I think that's like a good thing to stay woke on for, for future series. Um, why don't we move? Should we move to the to Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, let's Toronto? just, uh, so, so first and foremost, I mean, I don't think we're going to talk about the Nets for as long as we talked about the Blazers. And oh, I apologize. Not, no. I apologize to you in advance for that. But, um, you have to be kind of happy, right? Like going into the series, going into this bubble stuff, like it was pretty doom and gloom rhetoric, RIP to the Michael Beasley contract. Um, And just this idea of like, are they going to fall out of the playoffs? You know, I don't know. Like this is kind of a lost cause. Yeah. Yeah. What should they even be? No, not that you, but like, this was kind of what we were talking about, but like, no, they solidified their seventh seed, and there you've seen the you mentioned this yourself, and I, I think it's an interesting thing to to see and this wonder why this is. You kind of saw some, you kind of saw a rekindling of like the pre Kyrie Atkinson days, where this was just like a scrappy bunch of dudes who plays hard, and Karis Levert is, you know, when he has to be that number one guy, he he's capable on some nights uh so maybe that was damning with faint praise a little bit but how were you were you were you as pleasantly surprised as I was expecting you to be or maybe not I mean yeah I was pleasantly surprised like the fact that they were like it's not like the Blazers weren't trying in that last game you know they had the Blazers had to win that game to make it into the playing game and they the Nets gave the Blazers all that they could handle for what was for the Nets a meaningless game, honestly, because they had the seventh seed wrapped up. Um, going into that game, I thought they were just going to play the some combination of Chris Chioza, like Lance Thomas, uh, Justin Anderson, Jeremiah Mark. I, I like these are names that I was I was learning in the past week. And that's what I thought was, like, going to be there. And, you know, they came out there, Jacques Vaughn probably uh, trying to set himself up for a for a full-time coaching, uh, head coaching gig, really got the guys to play really hard. And it was reminiscent of the Atkinson pre-Kyrie days where it was that team that just played really hard like you were describing. And it was a welcome thought and there was a lot of there like even on Twitter during that Blazers game I was just scrolling through Twitter and like Karis Levert was getting all this praise from from the uh, Suns Twitter verse and and from all the uh, Memphis Grizzlies uh, Twitter folks just trying to like oh he's he's turning on his like He's having his MJ moment and all this stuff, which is hilarious. But it was exciting to see Levert fulfill what we, what at least I 
think I can see in him being a really good third option on a yeah. team if he accepts his role and whether and hopefully you know for me I hope they do keep him but there's a lot of talks about him possibly being traded traded because KD and Kyrie want more veteran dudes there that can help them win now where I think Levert could actually really help them and be one of the better third options in the whole league uh, for next year. And this is, you know, this playoff, mm. I, I'm giving them maybe, I'm giving them five games against the Raptors. Um, but it's like forward looking in that I think hopefully this sets them up for next year a little bit, but I'm a little bit dubious of that because there's so many guys missing. It's basically seven guys that are missing uh, from the from the real team. Um, you know, missing uh, KD, Kyrie, DeAndre. Uh, who else are we missing? Wilson, Chandler. We're mi- we're missing. Did you um, mention Dinwiddie? Dinwiddie. So we're missing a ton of dudes. Um, yeah. And I think that's where it becomes I'm, – I'm dubious that this changes as much because it's a completely different team next year. Um, yeah. Everyone's in a completely different role next year that they have to accept um, that I'm very – I'm question – it's very questionable as to whether or not this even really helps the team for next year because everyone's going to be playing – um, a bunch of different uh, roles for for the following season. Yeah. So I I don't know. It while it's encouraging to see, you know, Karis Levert go off for thirty something points. It I don't know in the long run it changes too much of the future. And hopefully, uh, Katie and Kyrie they're coming back healthy. And I am a little worried about the Nets' future and what ends up happening with Kyrie. Um, and his health just from a physical standpoint. And that's aside from all the, the media stuff that he ends up bringing upon himself, the physical aspect of it is he gets hurt a lot and he gets injured a lot. And I'm, I'm hopeful that he can stay healthy for a season, a full season, but that's, very questionable for me and it seems like he's going to be playing 60 ish to 65 games a season and you're pretty happy with that yeah so that i wanted to that's my take on yeah what what's happening with him i wanted to i wanted to you kind of brought these points but i wanted to tease them out a little bit or kind of i think there are two material things that could not will necessarily, but could come from the bubble. One may be positive and one may be negative. Point one is Jock Vaughn could become the head coach. Um, that's bad. I would argue that nope. that would be bad. Please I don't help. think, I don't think, I mean, not to say the rest of these possible guys are world beaters. Um, I think you mentioned Mark Jackson being someone you would be kind of okay with. I that was more just me throwing out a name. I don't no, that's know if fine. I'd be excited, I'm not putting but, you on. Listen, I yeah. said kind of okay. I didn't say yeah. happy. I mean, I said I would out of the list. I thought Ty Lue maybe was the best option. So none of these guys are world beaters. None of these guys are world beaters. But I think Jacques Vaughn is 
maybe the worst possible option. So if because he had, if because he got these guys to play well, <laughs> if because he got these guys to play well, he's going to get get the head coaching position for next year. It just doesn't make sense to me because they're two completely different jobs. You know Completely. what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. if he becomes head coach, I just don't see him making it past the half. Like, they're going to come out and be, like, 15 and 15, and he's going to get fired immediately. Yeah. I feel pretty confident that that's what would happen if Josh Vaughn became the head coach. But the other thing that you mentioned, maybe, and this could be a good thing, it could be, it'll be a good thing. We, I talked before the, the bubble started when we talked about the Nets about Karis LeVert's trade value being raised, and I would think that has at the very least been done. But maybe guys like Kyrie and KD are watching these games and watching LeVert bar, ball out at times, and they're thinking like, hey, maybe this guy, uh, maybe we, could, we should give this guy a shot to play with us. And at the very least, you'd think the front office is, is going to start leaning in that direction a little bit more. So maybe this bubble performance will – will make it more likely that Levert at the very least gets a shot at being that third option. You bringing up the stuff about Kyrie's health kind of is interesting to me in that debate because it's like, well, if Kyrie's health is an issue, is it better to have a guy like Levert when Kyrie is out and you're trying to play games or is it win games or is it better to have third option X? And I think the answer is partially it depends who third option X is. If it's Bradley Beal, it's probably Bradley Beal. If it's, uh, you know, whoever, whatever, who, who's the most, uh, the best guy available in free agency this year? I don't know. I, I couldn't. If it's him. just that yeah. guy, I don't know. If it's whoever the equivalent of like, I can't think of like, uh, whoever Otto Porter, like you know that kind of person pre-injury, or you know that mm-hmm. kind of like he's the third option, but he's very murky. Yeah, and yeah, I think it's Levert, but uh, you know maybe. So those are kind of the two points I wanted to make. I would pick the the Raptors in five as well. Um, the problem here is that the Nets, the things that allowed the Nets to win in the bubble, aren't going to matter in the playoffs. You know, everyone enough. plays really hard, and yeah. the Raptors have a million guys to throw at at this team, and it's probably going to confuse the fuck out of them defensively. So, yeah. uh, honestly, it may – giving them five might honestly be a little bit generous. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. No, I, I agree. It, it could be a sweep. Um, yeah, I think the the Nick Nurse to Jacques Vaughn um, – <laughs> Yeah, coaching difference is will be very evident. Um, so I won't be I won't be shocked about that. But it'll be fun to kind of uh, see if Levert can kind of take over a game or some um, or so and see what ends up happening there. But all right, let's move on. I think to maybe narratively one of the most intriguing. Uh, what like you were saying in the in previously about this series. Um, when we were talking about the Western Conference, Boston versus Philly, and what can come out of this series as a result of it. And it seems like without Simmons in the picture for this playoff run, Brett Brown is pretty much guaranteed to lose his job because, um, yeah, it doesn't seem like this is working. And they – 
to me, it all started, honestly, when in the offseason, especially with what they decided to do um, in terms of constructing this team. Yeah, this is a place where you were right and I was very wrong, I wanted to point out. I was pretty high on the kind of concept of the Sixers team as it was constructed, and you were pretty skeptical. And it seems like the skepticism has has certainly won the day, although you could argue that injuries never allowed it to fully play out. Uh, but that's that's kind of a weak argument. So with that being giving you some credit, I wanted to you can you can keep going. Yeah, I, I do want to pat myself on the back for this one because I did kind of foresee I just didn't really see how the roster fit together. Um yeah. and I thought that was a problem for day, from day one and Horford has regressed um, and has not looked like Boston Al Horford, and they're stuck with that contract now. And it's it's going to be a problem in terms of uh, what they decide to do here from moving forward into the future because they're saddled with big contracts in Al Horford and Tobias Harris, and I don't really know what they're going to be able to get on the trade market for those two guys. And, you know, there's, there was a bubbling of whether or not to break up the, the Joel Ben Simmons duo. Um, and if they finally decide to blow, decide to blow it up um, on a more dramatic standpoint from in terms of whether those two guys will be able to coexist. And we, I think we've talked about it uh pre like COVID pre uh, like bubble and all that stuff of whether or not those two guys would be able to work out and, and play together. And yeah, we could point to the health of Joel, the health of Ben, them not being able to fully um, be healthy together to see what this team could do um, when they actually tried and had everyone healthy. And we're maybe robbed of that a little bit, but I don't know moving forward what they're going to decide to do and which direction they decide to move. Um, But yeah. And then on the flip side of things, I think Boston has a really compelling case to, and I think the two, three matchup between Toronto and Boston is going to be really fascinating um, in the second round. If Boston can get past Philly and who knows with like how crazy this NBA season has been, what can happen. But I I foresee Boston winning in six. um, And it's like weird because I think it'll be a fairly comfortable six games. um, And I think the matchup problems will be whether or not Joel Embiid can kind of just take over a game um, against uh, the Boston bigs who honestly are not that imposing at all. Um, Robert Williams has been getting a ton of minutes at center behind um, uh, Daniel Tice um, to see whether or not he can hold up in the playoffs to guard uh, those bigs and Joel Embiid when he's going he's probably one of the best NBA players in the whole entire league yeah in terms of being right up there with Anthony Davis and um, Giannis in terms of being this game changer and I 
that's probably the one X factor. If Embiid plays out of his out of his mind and goes for something like thirty five and fifteen a game, it's conceivable that while providing good rim protection, it's conceivable that Philly has a pathway, but I just don't see it uh, happening in this series. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say about kind of the failure of, of the Sixers, as it were, in my mind, it was the idea, basically my idea about the Sixers possibly making being what this got this team to come out of the East after the Horford signing was predicated on this idea that they could be a number one defense, a top two defense in the NBA. And that hasn't really come to pass. They've kind of been in that, in that seven range. And I think that then when you're not clicking on in that way, those offensive problems you have, even if they're not like the, even if you're still a decent team with the, with the Simmons Embiid dichotomy being a question or Horford possibly having to be more of a, a six super sub as opposed to a legitimate four, you can play alongside Simmons. Uh, once that you lose that kind of initial part of the premise, everything starts to fall apart a little bit. And I, and I think it did. Now we were robbed of the Ben Simmons is going to play the four kind of revitalization, the, the revitalization, but was that more of just like a dying gasp of the, of the Brett Brown era that kind of got cut short a little bit? Yeah, probably. And I just echo everything you said. The only way the Sixers win this series is if it's like Embiid going off and shooters around him making a lot. Is that? I think it's possible. You picked six. I will also pick six. Uh, but uh, I'm a little bit more of a self. I will register that I'm a little bit more of a Celtic skeptic, mm-hmm. especially compared to you. I mean. Tatum has been pretty undeniable this year, and that's another thing that uh, you deserve a pat on the back for. You definitely singled out before the season that Tatum could make a leap, whereas I always thought his initial success was was a little bit of fool's gold. But at the end of the day, I'm still pretty head. I'm still, even though I, like I said, I don't. I think the Bucks should be that team that comes out of the East. I am more in that range of if it's someone else, it's going to be Toronto. Um, I'm just not yet. I kind of need to see Kemba and Tatum be. uh, I need to see Kemba and Tatum really bring it in multiple big playoff games. And and I'm not Tatum had a great run in that run to the Western into the Eastern conference finals a couple years back. It's not like he hasn't done it. It's just I'm more apt to buy into the, the theory of the case behind Toronto repeating as opposed to the Celtics kind of re-emerging, as it were. Um, yeah. So, you know, yeah, you know, going forward, I'm a little bit dubious of that, especially with Kemba, really. It's just like, I, I don't know. I feel like he's been hurt at times. and I just... I don't know. It, it, it's hard for me to get a read on that. And it's also hard for me to really see this like Tatum just going alpha male against the Raptors and, and carrying them to, to, to the Eastern conference finals. Um, yeah. So th- those were kind of my scattered thoughts on that. But I, I think they're certainly, especially without Simmons, the better team without 
the better team in the series. Uh, and they might have been the better team even if Simmons was playing. I'm not sure. Yeah, and I feel like Boston's maybe a guy short. Yeah. Like, of challenging. Uh, yeah, agree. Of Like, they have their six, their top yeah. six guys. Um, and then it gets kind of murky from there. Is Brad Wanamaker going to be the guy? Uh, Cantor? Grant Williams? Like, it's it becomes like a who's who of what can – who's going to be able to fill in um, as maybe the seventh, eighth guy. And if they had one more solid guy, then I would be really – I would be really – probably on the Boston bandwagon um, and possibly for them to make the finals. But it for them, I think things need to fall almost perfectly for them to make that run. And that's going to be whether or not Tatum can step up and all, and like Gordon Hayward and Brown can, can play consistently well. Sure. Um, but yeah, like Boston in six here, and that brings up a lot of questions about what Philly's future is going to look like, which will be fascinating to see who is hey, available. Man, people from that forget team. you can go back to a podcast when we're talking about possible Kawhi destinations. And I say on that podcast, why don't the Sixers just try and trade Ben Simmons for Kawhi? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, who knows if it was possible or not. But um, I think the window may have pa- – they're going to find that when it comes to – if they try and pivot, I think – and you alluded to it with Horford too. I think they're going to start to find that pivoting is a lot harder now than it was, say, two years ago. Yep. Yeah, when they had, like, certain pieces that were more palatable um, and more flexible in terms of what could be acquired for the pieces that they had. Um, in terms of graphics and things like that. Um, all right, last series that we're going to talk about today, Indiana versus Miami. Um, I don't know if you have a good feel on, on these two teams. Uh, yeah, Miami? it feels like a bit of a whimper to me, only because, yeah. like, I haven't watched that much. I haven't – Miami's a weird – you were about to say something about Miami. I'm interested to see how you feel about them because – they're one of probably the teams in this whole thing that I feel like I have the least bit of a handle on. Maybe I haven't watched them enough, but I, I have. I no probably should try and yeah. I probably should try and keep an eye on them because I didn't presume they're going to come out of this series and and seeing if are, are they a contender, a threat to the Bucks? I, probably not, but I I can't really say I know enough to make an educated assessment at this point. To me, I don't know if they have enough. I think they're maybe one year away from being, and probably one year away, and then like one stop, another solid rotation piece away from real. It just feels like they have way too many dudes that can either be good on on any given night or just like so so and not really show up. And and Spolstra kind of goes with like, all right, if let's say Tyler Hero's shooting fairly well, we'll stick him in there for Duncan Robinson. It doesn't feel like, and then the Jay Crowder spot's a little not exciting to me at all. But I think in this series, if I had to choose, I'd probably take the Heat here. 
Um, and I think it goes to seven games. Um, TJ Warren's been a revelation for like, he's crazy. Like can, can get a bucket no matter what. Um, the Suns gave him up for nothing basically. Um, and he's just like one of these wing guys that you really would want in today's modern NBA. And like, he's shown himself to be fairly good. And Indiana, like in the beginning of the season, I think I was like fairly decently high on them. So I would like, I, I think I was like, okay, even though Oladipo is not coming back, I kind of like them from what I remember because of Brogdon and their pieces and they showed out to be fairly well uh this year and they didn't really have the drop off even though i think a lot of people had them dropping off um so they did fairly well it just seems like they're a little short uh in terms of some of the got in terms of i would say one more rotation piece um it just seems like a lot of these teams are like one rotation piece away from being like complete or full um a lot of it seems like i've repeated that line over and over again from like even portland to toronto even um for being like a super solid solid contender um i talked about them with about like boston like it seems like a lot of these guys or these teams don't have that full rotation that i'd be like I'm super happy about this team. And yeah. there's there's and I think overall, like maybe um I don't know. I, I just think overall if you look at this this playoff uh run and playoff picture, it there's just this whole lot of certain uncertainty um in comparison to the past four to five years, um, where you could pretty much write it in pen, uh Golden State versus um versus LeBron um for the past four to five years or so and um yeah I'm excited to have something new kind of come out and we were really last year we were pretty on Toronto like we were yeah we were we both picked Toronto to make Toronto. the finals yeah right. we both picked Toronto to make I don't think either of us picked them winning it but um but yeah we both we both did see Toronto coming I feel pretty good about that yeah so um yeah, what do you what what else do you think about the Heat Pacers? Yeah, um, you know, I just wanted to first respond to your idea of this kind of wide open nature of the league, and I almost feel like that's the reason why you keep bringing up this "they're a guy short" thing, because I think most teams in the NBA usually are a guy short, but you kind of just don't consider them that heavily because the NBA was always so polar in that, like it was always going to be golden state or it was always going to be the Cavs. So outside of one designated sleeper, you didn't give them as much thought to like real legitimacy. And it's one, they're one guy short, I think is like what you come to when you try and give one of these lesser teams, a, a full academic consideration. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. because that's the, it's really, really hard to construct a complete roster in the NBA. There are always a dearth of, of wings who can play defense, and there are a dearth of guys who can shoot it super consistently. 
So their guys are teams are usually missing those guys. But I think because you you know you look at the the best teams this year and because of that you could maybe wonder if that's because of this kind of big two as opposed to big three model that's kind of come to the forefront no team seems like they're except for maybe the Clippers I mean this exercise has actually probably sold me more on the Clippers than anything that's happened in the past two weeks because you look at them up and down and they seem the most complete and when star power seems regular, evenly distributed, it seems like those intangibles will factor in more than they usually do because uh-huh. usually the who wins the finals is just dictated purely by star talent. So it kind of makes sense that we're like searching for something else in the absence of that normal, uh, that normal weight that seems to decide things. Um, so I wanted to say that, and I, I think that's kind of one of the reasons why that might be coming up so much. Um, in terms of the heat, though, I will say you're right to some extent, I think, with the, like, but you're listening off those bench guys, and they're all pretty good. You know what I mean? I'd mm-hmm. love to have Duncan Robinson on, on the Blazers or whatever. I almost think it's like, the reverse in some ways where like I like a lot of their pieces and I like the guys at the end of the day, but I just don't, when I go Jimmy Butler and Bam versus Tatum and, you know, Kemba and Jalen Brown, I kind of like the Celtics guys better when I go Bam and Jimmy Butler versus Toronto wing cadre and Lowry and Gasol I and Siakam I you know I kind of like the that better obviously Giannis versus Butler and Bam I and Middleton or whatever I kind of like I kind of like that that better so I, I I like them in this first round especially because I'm not by I think the Warren thing will be interesting going forward especially if Oladipo comes back healthy next year and is kind of back to his old self somewhat. Um, But I don't think it's really going to mean anything in this series. I think Butler will probably do a good job on him. And I think Bam versus Miles Turner is just a place where, where the Heat are going to have a distinct advantage. And then those Heat guys, you'll have a couple of, you didn't mention Iguodala either. It'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see what he's, bringing we haven't really seen that much from him um but i think like they'll have an advantage on that kind of top line talent side in this series whereas they won't down the line and i think that'll carry the day for the most part um if the pacers had sabonis i might have been picking pacers in seven heat in seven but i'm actually thinking pacers in five here i just don't unless oladipo has looked really bad man and i Mm, i don't think it's uh I don't think it's his fault necessarily. I think he's working his way back from this injury and kind of feeling things out and that he has the right to do that. But with him not having it going, you're right about Brogdon. Uh, like, or you've always been high on Brogdon and his kind of abilities. And will that come in handy in a playoff series? Yes. But um, yeah, I, I, I just don't think it's, I don't think he really gets unlocked unless 
there's that one guy really running the show. And could that be TJ Warren? Maybe, but I, I, I'm just not willing to buy it. But um, I echo your sentiments uh, in that, especially in this first round. It's funny how wide open you mentioned things were because with the with the um, with the exception of you picking Oklahoma City, I think we pretty much picked the favorite in every series. Yeah, uh, but that's yeah. usually <clears throat> to be frank, that's usually how it is in the first first rounds. But I will say, I think what is true about the wide openness is it will have me watching the first rounds a little more closely than usual. Because one, if things start to go haywire, obviously that'll be interesting. And if we start seeing upsets or the lack of home court and travel or whatever start kind of affecting these series, that will obviously be interesting. And simultaneously, I think uh, I think the later the later the later matchups, you're always looking ahead a little bit. But I think every team with the exception of a few are going to have at least some sort of interesting fight that will give us some maybe hints as to what's coming down the line a little bit more than usual. Um, Because usually you're like in the last, you know, in those previous years, like you mentioned with it being like, all right, LeBron's team's probably going to make it. And, uh, and the Warriors are probably going to make it. Um, You kind of just, go a little bit on cruise control until the conference finals. But I think the idea that upsets could occur in the, in the second round seems more likely than usual, if not the first round, which, which is possible, of course. Totally. So even just kind of, um, I mean, this has been, this has yeah, been incredible, I'm, but it's also I'm, been incredible. I'm, long I'm out of well. steam. I'm completely out of steam so, with, with, with all regards to death. Booker and Pop or whatever else. Right, right. I mean, there's a lot of other things we could talk about, but maybe we could revisit that on an, an another podcast. The one thing that I did want to um, kind of touch upon um, as we close out the podcast um, is talk about we should probably make our predictions uh, for the finals and yeah. who we have winning. So I agree. We're not – so we don't ha- – aren't accused of watching what's happening and then thus being informed from what's happening in the first round and then making our picks. But for me, I am going with Clippers versus Mm. Toronto. Wow. So Clippers versus Toronto, and I have the Clippers winning in the finals. I think fairly handedly, like pretty no, like easily. Five or six. six? Five or six, yeah. I'm going to go clip. I also have the Clippers, and I think, did we both pick the Clippers in the, uh, in the, in the preseason? I, I know we, I did. I, I'm pretty sure I picked the Clippers. I'd probably have to run so, it back, but I'm fairly sure. I, I, I think you did also. I think you did also, and we'll see if our uh, intuition is right here because – I do wonder if we're discounting the Lakers a little bit and discounting the pull of LeBron kind of, because outside of that one, uh, outside of that one, obviously last year, which was a bit of a fluke. And obviously there have been years where he hasn't made the finals, but it's been quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I think the Clippers are a formidable opponent, but I wonder if we're discounting just 
his greatness a little bit. But I'm also picking the Clippers, but I'm going to pick them over the Bucks. I'm going to say Clippers Bucks in seven. Um, I think the Bucks are going to show themselves to be a little bit more for real than people thought. Like, on the other hand, is it very possible they fall on their face in the second round or something? Yeah, but uh, but uh, I don't know, man. Giannis is the two-time MVP. Like, if he is, if he is this, and certainly he is, but if it's an interesting barometer to kind of see what kind of great he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, no. Is he that kind of great? Or is is he, he, yeah, exactly. Is he that heir to the, you know, it's kind of, he was the MVP decidedly, right? I, he would have been, we never really talked about postseason awards. He would have been my MVP. He would have been MVP. But yeah. is anyone calling him that best player in the league that you want in the finals or whatever? No, probably not. And, Maybe it's time for him to ascend to that level, and that's kind of the the underpinning of of the theory here. But I'm still picking the Clippers to, to right. be sure. But I'm going to go Clippers over Bucks in seven. I think the call to Donovan Mitchell must be made to Giannis <laughs> as well. Um, I mean, if he loses in the second round this year, I you start to kind of I think I think him be, leaving the box will become a very real thing if if they right. don't make yeah. the finals. Yeah, that becomes a very real thing and I think like close close Eastern Conference Finals like series I could see them being like okay, we just got unlucky. Yeah. But, but if they lose in the second round to either Indiana or Miami, I think then it starts to be like, is Giannis actually like that good? A lot of questions for Coach Bud, and uh, is the supporting cast around Giannis good enough? And that is one of the things that'll be, I think, fascinating to look out for, and we shall see what ends up happening. But yeah, I, I think Toronto will be able to I and I don't feel entirely confident about it and they could lose in the second to Boston as well uh I just like their cohesiveness and team chemistry and uh hopefully that ends up um bearing out in the end uh for my sake and for the picks uh but yeah I really like the Clippers um and I I don't I think the Lakers Clippers series which I think will event will happen in the West um, I think that'll be a really close series. Um, I don't think LeBron's going to just lay down and be like, oh, you know, it's not, I, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think, even if depth wise, the Clippers have a fairly clear advantage, um, in my opinion. Yup. Sounds, sounds about right. And, uh, I'm excited to keep breaking it down with you. Uh, I don't know. We'll probably have to check in at some point again. Yeah, uh, we'll we might have to check in. Leaving This was a, a ton of fun. This was an absolute blast, and I'm happy we did it. But uh, leaving this much, it goes to show how difficult it is to try and do a streamlined podcast when you have so much information to break down. 
So maybe we try and go sooner rather than later, like after the first round or something right, like right. that. So exactly. We'll just go round by round, post first round, post, you know, yeah. you know, second round, post Eastern. And then, you know, I was looking down um, at the NBA uh, final schedule and we will be uh-huh. in the, we will be in the middle of our bar exam. I believe um, game three. Jeez, um, Wendy's, Luis. Let's see. Game four is going to be on October 6th, which is our bar exam date, I believe. Um, so that will be um, incredibly difficult to not be paying attention to NBA finals game while we're nervously, you know, awaiting taking our exam uh, during that, uh, during that time. But yeah, I mean, if I can't watch the Blazers in the finals because of the bar exam, like, I don't yeah, know what's Bla- going to Blazers next in the finals. Hey, and the offer I mean... still stands. If the Blazers and the Lakers go to an, if the Blazers, it doesn't even have, it doesn't even have to be a game seven. It will probably be if it is, if the Blazers have an elimination game where if they win, they can beat the Lakers. We will, in some capacity, live stream it slash watch it together, some sort of public. Uh, we are definitely live streaming that scenario. If, if also, it's the, I want that Toronto. I mean, sure, we can do that, but that's ridiculous. I also please. want to call out to okay. if any we have. I think I missed my window. I think I missed my window for it because the Lakers series will have too much pull going on. If we have any plugs at the NBA that can get me on that Molson virtual fan screen, <laughs> I think I would be a great – I think I would go viral in some sort of capacity. I think well, I would be such a great addition. Okay. Um, and I, I did have a question about this. Andrew, what's your move on that? Do you think the NBA, like, pre-screens Oh, they 100% like, do. I'm sure any ideas I have about – because they always seem so sedate. Right, I know. It seems like everyone's taking a sleeping pill or like a, yeah, you know, a Klonopin and like have <laughs> knocked out and are just so like mild about their fandom. Like, yeah, can you agreed. imagine if one of us, like, imagine if the Blazers weren't were in that scenario? No, of, if there had been like, if there had been a, I mean, this is outing myself as somewhat of a psycho, but say I had been watching, like I had been on the Molson virtual. It's not Molson. What is it? The Michelob. I don't know. Michel- I said Michel- yeah, yeah, I the Michelob Michel- Ultra yeah. Ultra fan camp and during the Nets game. You would have seen my face, and then occasionally you would have seen a pillow coming into frame and me punching it. <laughs> like it would have just been like, why is this pillow and a fist in in the seat? Um, or you would have just seen a God when my parents were, what game was it during? Or just, uh, you never see anyone just mouthing like, fuck, like, I know. or anything. Are these people even fans? I, I don't know. But that's why I think the verse, me on that fan, I think I would provide true insight into what it's like to be a Blazer fan. And so thus, if uh, we have any, any, any connects out there, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to do my duty. We shall look into that for you, Andrew. Uh, So, everyone, thanks again for listening in on uh, the podcast. We were extremely excited to do this for you. If you have gotten to the end of this podcast, 
I commend you. I thank you. It truly means that you a you are a true follower um, and part of the family, part of the Wu Tang Clan. So I appreciate all of you guys for listening in. Thank you, Andrew, for coming back on to the podcast. Um, and we will talk to you guys after the first round is complete. So thanks again, Andrew. No problem, man.